Good morning, 316 Church. How are you doing this morning? I'm glad to be back. Can we get the lights on a little bit? Would you stand with me this morning? How many of you enjoyed Pastor Randy's four-week sermon series on For the Good? Pastor Randy, I don't know where you're at, but I'm proud of you. <laughs> How many of you enjoyed Teen Challenge last week? Amazing stories, amazing testimonies of what God can do. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be shifting gears, and we're going to be talking about the good work. How many of you believe that God has called you to do something great in this room? So today I pray that, that you would hear from the heart of God, that the Holy Spirit would stir your soul. Over these next four weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to maybe feel like an ordinary person, but to be used by God to do extraordinary things. So if you're the best of the best already, if you're the brightest in the class, if you're the star athlete, the leader of all, don't be discouraged. God can still use you. <laughs> it's just that our God all throughout scripture uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. In fact, I would say that this is the specialty of God. God specializes in using ordinary people. So this message series is, it's for those of you who believe that, that you were created for something more, that you were born for a purpose, that you were created by God for something eternal, to do something that matters, to do something that lasts. Over the next four weeks, I want you to pray this prayer. God, would you open my heart up to the great thing that you have in store for me. In fact, would you repeat after me right now? Would you say that prayer? God, would you open my heart to what you have in store for me? That might be a, a scary prayer for some of you. And in fact, if you know what that means, I gotta actually issue you a little bit of a warning. When God uses you, many times it comes at a personal cost. How many of you know that? When you step out in faith to do something significant, there will be challenges, there will be struggles, and it's very likely that you will pay a great price, even a much greater price than you could ever imagine. So I must warn you, you'll likely experience pain and rejection, and heartache, and loneliness, and doubt at times. But let me tell you, when you see one life turn to Jesus, when you see one salvation, when you disciple one person, and you see that one baptism, that one transformed heart, let me tell you, all of the pain simply doesn't matter anymore. The sacrifice that you put in to pray that prayer, God, would you use me in a great way? You might feel like it's, it was worth it. You may look like an everyday, ordinary person. You may not feel exceptionally gifted or talented, but you're exactly the type of person that God wants to use. So we're gonna study over the next four weeks the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah had a broken heart for his people and you're gonna learn a little bit about, about him. He, he looked on his situation and, and he looked at it and he, and he was pained and, and he cried and he wept and he, he felt a burden in his heart and he said, I, I can't just sit back and do nothing. Somebody's got to do something about this. It might as well be me. So in Nehemiah 2.18, it says, 
So they began the good work. <laughs> Somebody say the good work. And that's what this series is based on. Let me read Nehemiah 1, 1 through 4 as we begin the book of Nehemiah. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year. So there, there's background. This is history that we're reading. And, and Nehemiah is the one writing this. He says, while I was in the city of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. So what's Nehemiah doing here? He's asking about his homeland. He's asking about his people. Hey, hey, brother, how are they? How are they doing? What's going on in there? Do, do you bring good news for me? Something that I can be happy about. And verse 3 says, they said to me, those who survived, how many of you know that's, that's not a good way to start that question. He says, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Verse number four, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Can you imagine hearing those things about your homeland? Hey, hey, how, how is so-and-so? How is it back home? How's mom? How's dad? How's, how's our cousin? doing? How's our aunts and uncle? How are they doing over there? I haven't seen them in a while. Do, do you bring great news? And then maybe you've been put in that position before. No, things are not going so well. Their gates have been burned by fire. And there's only some survivors, not all of them. This is where the book of Nehemiah begins. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you, Lord, that you are a God who uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Lord God, as we dive into this book of Nehemiah, Lord, I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us. I pray that you would stir our spirits. I pray that you would call us out. I pray, Lord God, for, for a spirit that empowers us to do things that we can't do alone. So today, Lord God, I pray that each and every one of us would receive our calling, would receive our mission, would receive our purpose, Lord Jesus. And may we honor you in following your will. Let these words be yours and not mine. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. So let me give you a little bit more background to this story of Nehemiah. And if you've read the book of Nehemiah, uh, one of the things that you might come to uh, a conclusion is that it is one of the most captivating, it is one of the most inspiring, it is one of the most inspirational and motivating stories in the Bible about an ordinary man doing an extraordinary thing for God. And here's, here's one of my favorite parts, is that Nehemiah, he, he wasn't a pastor, <laughs> he wasn't a, an elder, a priest, he, he wasn't a prophet, he wasn't a warrior, he wasn't a king. Does anybody know what he was? He was a servant. He was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of Persia. A cupbearer, a servant. You could see that as like a butler. The, uh, 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 somebody who does whatever the king is uh, wants him to do. But I think that this also uh, shows Nehemiah's character. Because if you're King Artaxerxes and you had a servant, a butler that was there all the time, a cupbearer to bring food and drink to you, uh, that cupbearer, many times they would be overhearing many important conversations, right? 
Uh, many times this cupbearer, this servant, would actually be somebody who would maybe overhear about uh, where they're going to war. What, what places are they going to conquer? Um, who is going to prison? Who they're keeping their eye on? And one of the things that we can already tell about Nehemiah is that the king um, had allowed him to be this servant, this cupbearer, which spoke to his integrity because Nehemiah had to have the utmost integrity and trustworthiness to be, to be chosen by the king. And, and his job was really important. If anybody knows what a cupbearer does, um, in, in those days, many times if uh, people were plotting to kill the king, sometimes what they'd do is they'd try to sneak some poison for, into the food, into the drink of the king. And so guess what Nehemiah was doing before the meal got to the king? Nehemiah was tasting the food. Nehemiah was drinking the drink. And I think that's pretty interesting because Nehemiah literally had to put his life on the line every single meal. That's what a cup bearer does. And some of you are like, man, I, I must need, I, I would need great insurance with great benefits to, to get a job like that because uh, I might not just be out of a job, but I might be out of a life. <laughs> it's an important role. It's an important role that Nehemiah played. And so it's an ordinary day, and, and uh, Nehemiah's brother comes in and with some other uh, people, and Nehemiah asks his brother, hey, uh, how's, how's the family? How, how, how is everybody doing? And instead of hearing good news, I'm going to read it again, Nehemiah 1.3, they said to him, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So a little bit more history here since we're going to be spending the next four weeks on this topic. Uh, uh, Scholars say about 140 years earlier, the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar, they attacked Jerusalem. They attacked Jerusalem and the Babylonians actually destroyed the city. And the Jews were demoralized. They, they, they lost hope. They, they saw their city torn to ruins and they, they felt like they had no hope and, and no future. And so decades later, we're talking decades and decades later, we see about 50,000 Jews move back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the walls and the gates. And so what's happening here? Nehemiah is tasked with something great. He's, he's there serving the king. He's hearing the news. He's hearing the, 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 the devastating things that are going on in his homeland. And there's a lot that transpires once he hears this news. How many of you have ever received news where you had a choice, do I act on it or do I just let it be? Do I want to get involved in something like this or, or am I too busy doing what, what, what I'm already doing? Nehemiah was faced with this once he heard the news. And so the big question today in your notes is, how do you begin the good work? And I have three points for you today of how to begin the good work. Well, this is, this is the first way that you can begin the good work. And I, I want you to hear me out here. The first one is sit down and cry. <laughs> sit down and cry. And you might say, well, Pastor Randall, Sean, what are you talking about? I don't cry, right? That's weak. I'm a man. Men don't cry. I'm a, I'm a strong woman. Strong women don't cry. You might be saying that, and I have a verse for you. It's actually uh, John eleven thirty five. It says, Jesus wept. <laughs> That's a joke, because Jesus even cried. And I've never thought of Jesus as someone who is weak. But in fact, this is exactly what, what Nehemiah did in verse 4. 
He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. So if Nehemiah wept, and then yes, we have the ultimate example of all time. If Jesus wept, and in fact, this is the story of Lazarus, if you remember. It, let's talk about Jesus for a second. He, he learns that his friend Lazarus has died. And, and when he learns about that, the first thing that Jesus does is he, he weeps. And then even a few verses later, after Jesus wept and cried and mourned, in verse 38 of that story, Jesus, it says, verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And Jesus said, take away the stone. So what happened? Jesus had a burden to do something about that situation. Nehemiah had a burden to do something about that situation. Uh, here's another example. The good Samaritan. Right? Luke 10.33. But a Samaritan as he traveled came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. If you know the story of the Good Samaritan, the first thing that the Samaritan did before he acted is he had pity. He felt sorry for, for that man. He felt sorry for what was going on. He empathized with that man. He, he took on the burden. He felt sorry. And, and by the way, he was deeply moved to do something about it. That's the story of the Good Samaritan. And so the Good Samaritan goes to the man, bandages him up, does a great thing for him, and even paid for a place for that man to stay the night. What an amazing story. Over and over in the Bible, you hear many stories about uh, the, an empathy of a strong leader. Because I think that the Good Samaritan, in his pity, was stronger than the other two men that walked by. Amen? I think that Jesus, in his, in his weeping moment, stood up and says, I need to pray to God to see what I'm going to do about this situation. What about King David? There's many psalms that King David writes when, when he's in trouble. He cries out to the Lord. He weeps. He mourns in and, and many, 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 many different situations. The warrior and king, David even weeps. And all through Scripture, we see this example. And I think it's actually opposite. Maybe if I said the point, uh, uh, sit down and cry, immediately, culturally, you're like, that's a sign of weakness, right? That's a sign of weakness. But I believe that God created each of our emotions for a purpose. For example, let's do another emotion not sadness and crime, but what about anger? Unchecked anger can lead to rage, right, and sin. But there's something called a righteous anger where you stand up with that emotion of anger and you say, I must do something about this. I must do something about this. And I, I think that the emotion of weeping and crying is very much the same thing because I, I think I think that sometimes the anger, the righteous anger and the weeping sometimes are tied together. I must do something about this. If nobody else will, then I will. You see, I think that crying can be a sign of weakness, but it's not always a sign of weakness. Sometimes it's the strongest thing that you can do. In fact, Billy Graham says it this way, tears shed for yourself are tears of weakness, but tears shed for others are a sign of strength. Meaning I can't take it anymore. If that's going on in my family, I'm, I'm deeply moved by this. I have a burden, a divine burden, a divine passion that says that if nobody else is going to do something, then let me be the one because my heart breaks. And in this way, we can, we can use something like crying, like weeping, and we can use it to, 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 to garner our strength as we decide what to do moving 
forward. So the first thing that you do is you sit down and cry. And my, my question for you today is, what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? And I think this is a, a, very, a very telling question for a lot of us. Because if nothing breaks your heart, I'd say there's plenty in the world to be heartbroken over. And I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that you stay heartbroken. I'm not suggesting that you stay in that place. But what I am suggesting is that sometimes the thing that breaks your heart it is the calling of God on your life to do something about it. Sometimes what breaks your heart is what makes you stand up. Sometimes what breaks your heart is what moves you forward. Sometimes what breaks your heart is what gives you strength. So my question for you today is what breaks your heart? Because it could have been really easy for Nehemiah to just shake off the bad news. Ah, you know what? I'm, I'm living pretty well. Yeah, I have to taste the king's food and drink, but I'm eating the king's food and drink. I'm eating just like the king. I'm living in a palace. I've got it made. I'm, I'm important at least, at least to the king. He was probably watching, you know, 4K television in the palace, all the Netflix shows. He was watching everything. He, he was scrolling through Instagram, taking selfies with the king, hashtag blessed, right? Hashtag humbled to serve. Hey, I'm just here with the king, normal day in the life. What are you doing? And he had it made. He had a good life. But he was faced with a choice. Should I push the pain away or should I allow that pain in so that I can consider doing something about it? So my question for you today is what breaks your heart? Do you have a passion to help children? <laughs> Do you have a passion to help children who can't read? Children who are special needs, children who are bullied, children who are neglected or abused. What is your passion? What breaks your heart? Do you have a passion for people? Just like adult and teen challenge, do you have a, a passion for people who are addicted to drugs and alcohol? Do you have a passion to help people through those addictions who are trapped and addicted to pornography? Do you have a passion to help young men Learn the godly ways of the Bible to learn the truth of the word. Maybe you have a passion for the homeless. Maybe you have a passion for, for the less fortunate. Maybe you have a passion for people who are trafficked or, or used or abused or impoverished. People who, who can't even uh, get access to clean water or clean food. What is your passion? What breaks your heart? And one of the great things that I get to see as a pastor is, is people get to, they tell me their passions. Pastor, there's a problem here, and somebody needs to do something about it. And a lot of times I'd say, somebody? <laughs> I think God's speaking to you. I think that God has placed a calling, a passion, a divine burden on your heart that maybe you're just the one that God needs to make a difference in that life, in that situation. Everyone has a calling. Everyone has a purpose. And if you've been questioning that, God, how, how can I be used? How can I serve your kingdom? What is my purpose? I'm going to tell you. Many times it starts with the question, what breaks your heart? I still remember the first time my brother Matt came to me and told me that he was going through the One Hope program, the Foster to Adopt program, and him and his wife Jessica a few years ago started the process, and I could still remember 
my brother telling me about One Hope and telling me about all these foster kids. And he had all the statistics laid out. If you know Matt, <laughs> you know he's all into the data. There's this many uh, 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 foster children in Bear County. <laughs> I can't foster them all, but maybe I can foster one or two or three. Maybe I can do something about it. I still remember that conversation he, he had with me. He, he was so passionate about doing something great in a situation that seemed hopeless. And just a little while later, he fostered a sibling group, Major, Anaceli, and Malia. And then just a few months later after that, he adopted all three of them. And now we call them family. You see, that was what broke their heart, and they did something about it. And, and you know what? Sometimes, in fact, I had a conversation about this earlier this week with Pastor Doug, actually. Sometimes we think, God, I, I want you to do something great. I, I want to be a leader of thousands, of tens of thousands, of millions. God, if you're going to use me, I, I want to start, I want to help start a movement. I want to help start a church and a, and a small group. And we think these big things, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with thinking great things. But sometimes the word movement in our culture, sometimes we think that it's some crazy movement. And I'm going to tell you, movement to God is moving someone from from where they are to where God wants them to be, one person at a time. You see, the greatest movement of all time in the church of Jesus moved one person at a time. And when you move one person, I believe that there are thousands, tens of thousands, millions of angels rejoicing in heaven. And I'm going to tell you, that is incredible. It's a miracle when you see that impacting one life, when doing one thing, uh, my brother Matt, fostering and adopting three children, it, it may not have solved the entire problem in Bear County, but you know what? There are three precious souls that he gets to impact for the rest of his life. What breaks your heart? No matter how big, no matter how small. It starts with that question. Nehemiah 1.4, he says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. And then right after that, it gives us a clue into number two. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Before I go any further, let me give you the life lesson here. Is the bigger the burden, the greater the mission. The bigger the burden, the greater the mission. So right after Nehemiah sat down and wept, it says, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now let me ask you a question. You don't have to raise your hand. But when you are brokenhearted about one of these situations, when you're brokenhearted about people going through something, when is the last time we've done something like Nehemiah does where we fast and pray about that situation? Where it's not just a momentary heartbreak, but it's a heartbroken that says, I'm going to fast, I'm going to pray, I'm going to believe for big things, I'm going to believe for miracles, I'm going to pray big, and I'm going to pray bold, because there's nothing that my God can't do. So if something breaks your heart, church, shouldn't we fast? Shouldn't we pray? And in the process, ask God, God, what would you have me do in this situation? Because I'm going to be honest, I think too many times I'm going to raise my hand first. That's a sad situation, but somebody else can do it. That's a really horrible situation, but I'm sure it's already taken care of. You know, that, that, that's, it's very sad that there's so many foster children in the system, but 
you know, I, I'm not going to make a big difference if I just adopt one. What breaks your heart? The second thing that we need to do, point number two, is kneel down and pray. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. This is exactly what Nehemiah did. He sat down and cried. And then he knelt down to pray. So my question for you today is, what are you praying about? What are you fasting about? My deep conviction, again, and I'm preaching to myself all week, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm going to be preaching to myself all Sunday morning. I'm not just preaching to you. But what are you praying about? And I'll add this, what are you fasting about? My deep conviction is that many of the church have stopped fasting. I don't have time to tell you the stories today, but when I have been obedient to fasting, those are the same weeks where I have seen literal miracles take place in situations. If you're praying for a miracle, pray. But don't just pray, fast. Because I believe that in obedience and in accordance with Scripture, I believe that this is many of our next steps. Pray and fast. Don't skip the fasting part. If you're not familiar with fasting, fasting is a spiritual, a spiritual practice where you withhold something, usually in your flesh, you, you withhold something in your flesh so that your spirit may be strengthened. And many times fasting is food. There's full fasts, there's Daniel fast, you can fast a whole day, you can fast a meal. Can I just say, can I just give you some advice? You don't have to fast for 40 days, but you can fast for lunch, praying about something. You don't have to fast 21 days, but can you do a day? You don't have to fast that often. You just have to be intentional about it. Now, now, glory to God, if you're believing so strongly in your heart and praying so hard that God, God, God asks you to continue fasting, praise God. Praise God for that. But I think that the reason that many of us don't engage in this spiritual practice is because we think we need to make it a marathon. 21 days or 40 days or nothing. <laughs> Pray fast about that situation. You see, the size of your prayers often determines the size of your God. If you pray small prayers, I'm sorry, but you believe in a small God. <laughs> if you pray big prayers, big, bold, great prayers, praying for the impossible, then you believe in a big, bold God who does the impossible. Don't be afraid. Big prayers, big God. Small prayers, small God. Now I'm going to tell you, it doesn't, small prayers don't actually change, change the size of our God. <laughs> but that might be the way you believe God. That may be what you think God is. You see, all through Scripture, we would see these principles. Elisha prayed that it wouldn't rain. And for three and a half years, there was no rain. Joshua prayed for more daylight, and God stopped the sun. One prophet prayed for protection, and the enemy right in front of him didn't even recognize him. God made him invisible. The common denominator, they asked for the unthinkable. They asked for the unthinkable. What are you praying for? When was the last time you asked God to do something impossible? When was the last time that you asked God to do something out of the ordinary? You see, maybe, just maybe, one of the reasons why you haven't seen God do great things is because you're praying small prayers. I believe that God is waiting for us to ask Him. 
He's saying, I dare you to ask me to do the impossible. I dare you to ask me to do the big things. I dare you to pray big and bold prayers. I dare you to do it because I'm a God and nothing can stand against me. I am the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the all-powerful, all-knowing God. And we pray for McDonald's. You're laughing because that's sometimes what our prayers are reduced to. Now, God bless your Big Mac. But some of us need to pray like we believe in a God that does the impossible. Some of us need to increase our prayer life. Because I believe that God is going to show you over the next few weeks that how great he is, how big he is, how he can use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Your dreams may look impossible. The funding may not be there. The people may not be there. The odds may be against you. But God, <laughs> but God, God always comes through. He's saying, I dare you to ask me to do the impossible. Time may not be on your side. People may not be on your side. Chances may be slim, but I'm still waiting for you to ask me to do a miracle because I will make a way where there seems to be no way. How many of your prayers are not being answered simply because you're not asking? Life lesson, what you pray about reflects what you believe about God. Do you truly believe that he's a miracle worker? Pray it. Pray it. Believe it. Do you truly believe that he can do the impossible? Then pray it. Fast on it. Here's what Nehemiah did. Going back to verse 4, when I heard these things, I, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, this is after all the, the praying and fasting, by the way, right? He, he cried, he prayed, he fasted, and then, and then here, here is what he says after this. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keeps his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you today and night, day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. What is he doing? He's coming toward, to, to repentance, to confession. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. So what is he saying? He's saying that God said, if you turn from me, you're going to be scattered. But if you turn back to me, I'm going to bring you back together. And Nehemiah is praying this prayer saying, God, I remember what you said. And so far it's come to pass. We are scattered. But I see us coming back together. God, do you remember your promise? Verse 10. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength. Somebody say, your great strength. Not mine, but his. And your mighty hand. Not mine, but his mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in the revering your name. Give your servant success today. By granting him favor in the presence of this man, I 
was cupbearer to the king. So let me just break down that last portion for you. At that very last, in that very last verse, Nehemiah actually prays that he would find favor with the king that he's serving. He says, let me find favor with this man. Let me find favor with this man. So what we find is that he's a cupbearer to the king. He's asking God for favor. So what do you think is going to happen next? Nehemiah is going to go and approach the king and maybe, possibly try to do something about it. And that's where we pick up in chapter 2, which we're going to discuss a little bit more next week. But Nehemiah 2, verses 4 and 5, the king said to me, what is it you want? So now Nehemiah has approached the king. He's prayed about it. He's fasted about it. He's asked God for help and guidance. And he's done all of the work before he approaches the king. And the king says, what is it you want? And Nehemiah answered the king. He says, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. Faith. And that's point number three. Not only do we sit down and cry, not only do we kneel down and pray, but we also stand up to act. Stand up to act. How will you respond? That's the question. If God has placed a divine burden in your heart, if he's given you, uh, if he's given you a burden, a passion to do something great, it's not supposed to just sit there. <laughs> We're supposed to stand up and act. So my question is, is how will you respond when God has spoken into your life and he's given you something that breaks your heart? How will you respond? And Nehemiah responded to his divine burden by saying, let's rebuild it. <laughs> Would you stand with me today? You see, all throughout Scripture, I want you to hear this today. When the voice of the Lord will come on an ordinary man or an ordinary woman, when the voice of the Lord comes, he never says, sit down and stay where you're at. <laughs> Don't move. No, God says, arise and get up. Get out of complacency. Go out of your comfort zone. Leave your boat, Peter. <laughs> because God is always moving. It's just that we're not always moving with him. God is always moving, and a lot of times we're complacent. God is always moving, and, and we love to stay in our comfort zones. God is always moving, but many times we stay where we're at. And many times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God, he's always saying, arise, get up, leave your comfort zone, go where I tell you to go. You're never going to get anything done in your comfort zone. You're never going to get anything done sitting down. Sitting down is for watching TV. It's not for doing things for God. <laughs> so here's the prophetic word for you here today. For some of you, it's time. God says, arise. It's time. You receive that today. God says, arise. It's time. It's time to go. It's time to walk. It's time to run the race. It's time to fight principalities. It's time to battle laziness. 
It's time to tear down those strongholds. It's time to comfort the hurting. It's time to be unashamed of the gospel at work. It's time to be the leader that your family needs. It's time to be the praying mother that your children need. It's time to say yes. It's time to say yes. It's time to arise. It's time to move. It's time for the church to say, I can't just sit around and do nothing. Somebody has to do something. It might as well be me. Life lesson, God can turn your tears into your passion. Your passion into your prayers and your prayers into action. I'll tell you what breaks my heart. In fact, this is the reason why I stand here today. What breaks my heart is generations that have turned away from God. What breaks my heart is that is men who aren't being the spiritual leaders of their family that God has called them to be. What breaks my heart is women who've stopped praying for their families. Youth that have gone away from the Lord. Young adults that want nothing to do with God. That's what breaks my heart. A generation that that doesn't read the word of God, they don't pray, they don't fast, they've been desensitized to sin, a generation that worships celebrities more than they worship God, a generation that works all day, they spend hours and hours at work, hours and hours on TikTok, hours and hours on Instagram, hours and hours catching up on their shows on Netflix, but don't have time for God. A generation that consumes and consumes and consumes and consumes information and blogs and podcasts and TV and YouTube and TikTok and Instagram and they consume and they consume and they keep wanting more and they want more and they want more. And the one thing that they're not consuming is God, is the living water. The one thing that can fill them up, the one thing that can satisfy, the one thing that brings true fulfillment, the one thing that brings true completeness, this is what breaks my heart. It's a generation that's not just consuming things, but they're consuming a lie. A generation that wants to consume everything that this world has to offer except the word of God. A generation that's more passionate about gaining a million followers than being one follower of Jesus. And if I could boil it all into a nutshell of why I said yes in 2018, it was just that. I finally said to myself, I can't just sit back and do nothing. If not me, then who? I may not be the most qualified. I may not be the most intelligent. I may not be the most eloquent. I may not be the greatest speaker or communicator. I I may not be a lot of things. I'm pretty ordinary, trust me. And that's when God reminded me That's my specialty. I don't call the qualified. I qualify the called. I'm the one who gives strength to ordinary people to do extraordinary things. It was never about your talents. It was never about your gifts. Others may say otherwise, but let me say that again. It it was never about your talents. It was never about your gifts. It's always been about your obedience. And it's always been about your yes. And God says, it's always been about me. 
Because if it was about you, you wouldn't be able to do it. But since it's about me, anything is possible. <laughs> Some of you are at different points in your spiritual walk. Some of you just need to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Some of you have been running. You've been everywhere but here. You've been everywhere but in the presence of God. And some of you want to make a first-time commitment to Jesus today. Some of you want to make a recommitment. And if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Would you repeat after me, everybody in unison, dear Lord Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. I thank you for rising again on the third day. You are the Messiah. You are the true God. I believe in you, and I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Today, I confess my sins to you. I want a new start. I want to be a new creation. Lord, do your work. From this day forward, I promise to live my life for you. And for some of you, you may have fallen into the trap of the casualness of your calling, the casualness of following Jesus, the casualness. Can I tell you, there's nothing casual about following Jesus. It takes sacrifice. It takes following. It takes leaving your boat, saying yes, taking up your cross daily and being a follower of Jesus. And if you've been casual about that, today's your opportunity to say yes, to recommit your life, to recommit yourself, to obey the calling of God. And some of you just want to pray about that calling. So for the next few minutes, we're going to open up these altars. And I want you to pray I want you to pray hard. I want you to pray bold. I want you to pray big. I want you to pray it like you believe it. I want you to pray for the impossible. I want you to seek God today and believe that he's gonna do a great work today. So today we're gonna open up these altars. My prayer partners will come to my right and to my left and we're gonna worship God and we're gonna pray together for the next few moments. Would you join me? in prayer. If you need prayer, come visit a prayer partner. We'd love to pray for you.